everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah. Probably familiar Joseph and the multicolored dream. I knew someone could help me. Last year I wrote it down. This year I forgot to write it down. So we're going to talk about that. We got to talk about Joseph being sold. We'll see if we have time to get into a interesting. On our third round, so we'll have some good words, good letters, good lessons, uh, a, a very cute story we'll end with today, a, a really nice lesson that I found. And, of course, Rabbi Jonas and Goldson will join us in our last segment. So let's first talk this week's Torah portion. Jacob has had a, you might say, a rough life. He's had a brother who was running after him to kill him. That's Ace of he had a father-in-law. Now, I'm a father-in-law, and um, I'm nice to my children, but uh, I don't think anybody would want a father-in-law like Lavan. That's what Jacob had to deal with, a father-in-law who tried to, well, he made him work 14 years for his two daughters. He tried to finagle him out of all his money. In the end, Jacob does leave with a lot of wealth. Uh, Lavan chases him. God tells Lavan back off. Um, we have the story of Dina, we did not have time uh, the last couple weeks, where Dina is raped. So, uh, you know, he's had a difficult life. He's had good stuff. Look, good family, large family, healthy family. He has, uh, he's in Israel now, he's back home. So you imagine that at this point in life, he's ready to retire. Which is like interesting, I was in a person's office yesterday, I'm not sure if the man is 88 or 90, and I'm in, I'm in the, the conference room waiting for him to come in, and he's busy. He's very loud, so I wasn't eavesdropping, but he's talking all kinds of business. Oh, I, I got to tell the guy I could, I could tear down the building and build 60 or 80,000 square feet, and he's only paying for 40,000. Like, this man is alive in business when most people that age are uh, down in Florida retired which he actually goes a couple times a year, back and forth. But in any case, uh, Jacob is over 100 years old, and we'll see the exact ages as the Torah portion goes along. It's not hidden. It's easy to count. He's ready to sit back, drink his pina colada, enjoy life, study Torah, him and God. So the, the Torah portion starts out saying, the, well, really, Rashi says, a very important concept and that is righteous people, great people, are looking to retire. They're looking to, they've, they've accomplished in life, they've done a lot of things with their life, and they're looking to sit back, put their feet up, and just enjoy. So God says to these people, again, he doesn't actually say it to them out loud, but the message becomes clear. 
God says, you know, you have such an amazing world to come. This world is temporary. We're here today, gone tomorrow. So you're going to have an amazing world to come. This is not the world that you should be resting in. This is the world that you need to accomplish in. Therefore, these great righteous people are never given a chance to just sit back and relax. They will always be challenged. They will always have things to accomplish. Things will always be happening to them. And I've heard people say, you know, I don't want to be too righteous because then God's going to expect more out of me and I'm going to have more trials and tribulations. That's ridiculous. If you are a better person, God is giving you the opportunity to be even greater. That's what God wants. We're not supposed to be static or stable or just sitting in one place. We're supposed to always be constantly be moving, growing as people. Now, really getting off topic. I just heard I was listening on the radio on the way in. Just a fascinating thought, completely off topic, but only but sort of on topic. So I don't know his name. I, I came in in the middle. He's an author. I think he lives out on the West Coast, and he has a book about children. So one of the things he talks about is that, unfortunately, nowadays you have a lot of people that put off childbirth. They wait. That was just for some of the other day. Um, uh, he's not too old to have children, but he's already old enough. He doesn't want children anymore. So the, this author was explaining that if you knew the blessing of children, for those who have children, if you knew what the blessing was, you would never say you don't want children. And if you understood that having children makes you into an, a completely different person. You're no longer selfish. You're no longer in it for yourself. You're in it for your family. You're, you're in it. All of a sudden, if there's a family, you care about your neighborhood. You care about your city. Everything, you become a, a, you become a person. You become somebody that cares. You're not selfish. It was just an interesting talking about people growing and the importance of growth. Having children is the best way or one of the best ways for a person to grow. You're, you're, you might be a, a great guy or a great lady, but you become a mother, you become a father, you are not the same anymore. You are a totally new, new and improved person. Okay, that was way off topic. So let's get back. Scroll back. With a drink of water. So, uh, so Jacob wants to relax, and God says, Sorry, you are not allowed to relax. So now he's going to have the trial of Joseph. So let's, let's look at this family dynamic. So Jacob had four wives. His most beloved wife was Rachel. He worked for her. He wanted to marry her. Um, he was tricked. First he marries Leah. Um, then he gets to marry Rachel. And Rachel's first child is Joseph. So this is the wife he loves best. This is her oldest child. And this child is the most talented of all the children. Whatever each child has, Joseph has, he's all their talents wrapped up in one. But he's younger than them. And the father dots on him, or dotes on him, however you pronounce that word. And Jacob does things to Joseph that makes the brothers jealous. And even if Jacob had good intentions and he misread how the brothers would take what he did, but at the end of the day, he did treat Joseph better. And the brothers knew it, and the brothers were jealous because of it. As great as these brothers are, and maybe we'll discuss why they felt the need to hate Joseph, but uh, Joseph, to a certain extent, even asked for it. In other words, we're going to talk about it. He, he tattletailed. 
the question is why. He would see his brothers doing something that he felt was inappropriate for the family of Jacob, and he'd run to his father. You know what the brothers are doing? And like any good father, okay, I'll take care of it, then I'll go back to the brothers. And of course, the brothers are upset. Why is he tattletaling on me? But if you get deeper into it and you start to look at what Joseph was claiming the brothers were doing, you start to find that there's a lot of miscommunication. Now, as Joseph sees a picture, he reads the picture. We're going to talk about that with a, with a very nice story at the end of our show today. Joseph sees a picture and he interprets it his way, the way he feels the brothers should be leading their life. The brothers are in the picture and they have a disagreement in how they should be living their life. All righteous. This was righteous conversations. Are we considered Jewish? Do we have to keep the Torah? We don't have to keep the Torah. We keep part of the Torah without getting into the, into the minutiae of all those different uh, topics. The brothers are jealous. Now the brothers are looking at the other picture. Doesn't Joseph understand why we do what we do? Why must he tattletale? Why doesn't he come tell us straight? So the brothers have their own picture. And in the brothers' picture, they see history repeating itself. What do I mean? So you have Abraham. Abraham has two children. But he has more afterwards, but two children, Ishmael and Isaac. So the Jewish people will come from Isaac, and Ishmael is pushed out of the picture. Isaac has two children. The Jewish people will come from Jacob, and Esau is pushed out of the picture. Now, for Ishmael and Esau, they didn't really want to be part of the Jewish people. They had no problem with that whole situation. But the brothers all want to be part of the Jewish people. And they're looking at the picture, and they see Joseph, and they say, you know what? Joseph is trying to push us out of the picture, and the Jewish people should only come from him. And that we can't handle. So therefore, there is a, a, uh, there's more than jealousy. The Torah says straight, there is, a, there is an animosity. There is, it's a harsh word. But there's a hatred. The brothers hate Joseph. And Joseph may recognize this, but again, he's, he's not old. He's all of 17. He, he misses the boat. He doesn't really understand how far the brothers' hate really goes. Joseph has dreams. We're all familiar, or if we're not familiar, we should be familiar. Joseph has two dreams, one about uh, they're all bundling stalks, and the brothers' stalks bow down to Joseph. I mean, anybody could interpret that dream. And again, Joseph sees the stars, the moon, and the sun, all boy, there are 11 stars, 11 brothers, all bowing down to Joseph. Again, it's not hard to know the meaning of the dream. So you could be Joseph and have this dream and wake up saying, whoa, God is sending me a message that I am going to be king. Fantastic. Except that Joseph tells over the dream by the breakfast table when everybody's sitting around. Why? Why would Joseph feel the need? He's not a fool. So it happens to be, the Talmud explains, that dreams are a low-level prophecy. And if you want the dream to have staying power, you need the dream interpreted, and you don't get to interpret your own dream. So he says it to the brothers. What do the brothers say? Joseph, you think you're going to be king over us? Thank you very much. I needed the dream interpreted. By the second dream already, the brothers are a little smarter. The brothers just keep quiet. I always wondered why they didn't say something nasty, but I guess they were, they were honest. They knew themselves what it stood for, so they're just going to be quiet. Joseph doesn't give up. 
He waits till his father comes down to the breakfast table or lunch or supper. I just make up the breakfast part. That's my own uh, addition. Um, he tells over the story to his father. And his father says, come on, Joseph. You think that me and your mother and your brothers are going to come bow down to you? Forget about it. And again, Joseph says, thank you very much, because he got the dream interpreted. And, uh, and the brothers are incensed. Now, it is interesting. Um, the, the obvious interpretation is the sun, the, right, the sun in the sky, is Jacob. The stars, of course, are the brothers. And the moon is Joseph's mother. Well, now you have a problem. Because Joseph's mother is dead. And she is not going to wake up and go bow down to Joseph. So the commentaries give two explanations, and Jacob knew this. Either it meant his stepmother, Billah, who raised him. Maybe she'll come down and bow down. Or it happens to be that in the rules, sounds funny we talk about these things, in the rules and regulations of dream interpretations, for those professional dream interpreters, uh, the rule is there's always something in the dream that's just complete silliness, doesn't need to be translated, it's just extra stuff. So the extra stuff is the moon. There can't be a moon bowing down to Joseph. So there's no moon, no problem. Now, um, we, we, we should keep in mind on this. The, again, the, in those days, a dream had value. We dream anything because all the, the things running through our brain on a regular day were so busy thinking and imagining. My wife wakes up all the time. Oh, I had a bad dream. I said, you mean a bad imagination. Right? An imagination is, does not qualify as a prophetic dream, and we feel for the most part nowadays that uh, we don't get those prophetic dreams. It could happen. It's not to say it can never happen. It's certainly a possibility. The likelihood is our dreams are all just complete silliness, what you're thinking about during the day. There's all kinds of famous stories where kings would go to rabbis or generals and and they'd say, tell me what I'm going to dream tonight. And the rabbi would give them some fantastic, wild story. And the king or general would come back the next day and say, I can't believe you got it right. That's exactly my dream. Complete psychology. Right? If this is what you think about, that's what you dream. And perhaps that's what Jacob was trying to tell the brothers. And maybe that's why the brothers are jealous. In other words, if they believe that Joseph's dream, dreams, plural, um, are Joseph's imagination... Well, so is this what you're thinking about? All day long you're thinking that you are going to be king over us? It just feeds fuel to the fire of the brothers feeling that Joseph wants the brothers out of the picture. Joseph will be the Jewish people. He will be in control. He'll be king. That's what the brothers are afraid of. Joseph knows. I'm not imagining it. This is not what I'm thinking about all day. I don't hate you guys. I just happen to be more talented which is always a difficulty for the people that are more talented um, and they can do so many more things and they should be doing so many more things, but it leaves us uh, regular mortal souls um, at a loss what to do when we run into these people. So as we're getting close to the time, let's at least try to wrap up this part of the story. So uh, the brothers go, they're shepherds, they're traveling, they're by the city of Shechem. Shechem is a bad place. I mean, nowadays, nowadays, it's a dangerous place. Um, that's Nablus. But um, in though, it, historically, for the Jewish people, it's a bad location. Dina's raped there. The brothers sell Joseph there. The ten tribes split off. 
from uh, Judah uh, and his tribe and the Levites and uh, Benjamin's tribe, which anyways hung out with Judah. So that all takes place in Shechem. Jacob sends Joseph to check on the brothers. Again, seems strange. Doesn't his father know that the brothers, you know, who knows what they could do when Jacob's not around? But God needs the plan to move along. We need Joseph in Mitzrayim. We need the Jewish people down in Mitzrayim. Joseph will lay the groundwork. He'll be the king. He'll be able to, uh, to support the family. So, uh, so the, we need to move it along. So Joseph goes, and the brothers see him, and the brothers decide, Joseph, we got to get rid of him. And originally they wanted to kill Joseph. Along comes Ruvain, the oldest, and says, we can't kill him. We'll throw him in the pit. He'll die of starvation or hunger or, or, or no water or who knows what. And Ruvain's plan, or Reuben's plan, was to save him and bring him home. Because Ruvain's the oldest. He knows the oldest always has responsibility. And if you're the responsible child, you got to go ahead and take care of everybody else's uh, follies, I guess we'll call it. So, and here comes the music. So I don't know, maybe later on in the show, we're going to get more into this story. But when we come back, we're going to be joined by David Shmuel Milder, founder of Sight. We'll talk about what that organization is and Jewish outreach. Hold through the break and we'll be right back. The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where Techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says there was a substantial drop in diabetes deaths in the decade leading up to 2006 especially for deaths resulting from heart disease or stroke that's attributed to diabetes. American adults with diabetes are still more likely to die younger than those who do not have the condition, but the gap is getting smaller. The findings come after researchers looked at data from 1997 to 2004, covering nearly a quarter of a million adults. The mortality rate may be falling for some very simple but sound reasons. People with diabetes were found to be less likely to smoke and more likely to be physically active than they were in the past. And there also have been some improvements in controlling blood pressure and cholesterol levels. But sadly, the news is not all good though, as the CDC also says that the prevalence of diabetes is likely to rise in the future, largely due to poor lifestyle choices and obesity. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back. 
And as promised, we are joined by David Shmuel Milder, founder of SITE. That stands for Center for Interactive Torah Education, plus a weekly newsletter, which I read. With a Torah thought on the weekly Torah portion, David Shmuel, how are you? I am Baruch Hashem, wonderful. It is good to hear your voice again. Uh, here the weather is cold. It's a little, uh, little nasty out, a little snow. How's the weather by you? In Milwaukee, there's snow on the uh, on on the floor, but I know uh, from where I come from in Miami that huh. they have milder snow, like my name, David Shmuel Milder. Oh, milder! See, very good. That that is such a good. You know, I once read a book. The guy's name was Frank Betcher. He was a famous um, insurance agent. So somebody had asked me to read the book. So I went to him and I said that, how do you pronounce the guy's name? He says, you didn't read the book. At the very beginning of the book, the guy says, my name's Betcher, like Betcher Life. So mild like the weather. That was excellent. So we'll start again. <laughs> David Schmuel, milder. Very amazing. So you've been in Miami, been in Boston, been in Milwaukee. Well, before we get rolling, so just give us a little background about who and what you are. I was raised in a suburb of Miami called Kendall, and grew up there 18 years. Um, started off in a more of a, I guess a conservative, like a traditional conservative home, and then at 13, uh, decided to become more religious, and went to a, a day school, Hebrew Academy, Miami Beach, and then eventually went to Yeshiva, Torah Chaim in 11th grade, Spent around 14 years in, in the Chavetz Chaim system, three, three years of it in Israel. And now I'm, uh, I run a Center for Interactive Torah Education, an online uh, yeshiva, the Torah classes at TorahInteractive.org. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. You were also, for a, a slight period of time, I remember you told me you were in Boston or Harvard or Cambridge or, or all three put together. Yeah. I have no idea. Yes, I was... For about a year, I was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I was doing a campus kiruv at Harvard and MIT. I oh. learned with uh, Jewish students. All smart part people. Of a, I mean, part of a, yes, yes. It was part of, part of an organization called Jewish Heritage Initiative, JHI. Oh, cool. So I, I, there was something I forget I wanted to ask you before we get into what you actually do. Um, so you were, you're using the word kiruv. Um, I guess we call it Jewish outreach. What is Jewish outreach? What does it mean? That's an excellent question. What is Jewish outreach? And basically, Jewish outreach is looking for Jews who want to get closer to Torah. It, whether they know that whether they know that they want get, to get 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 closer or not. My my Roshiva, Rav Hanna Roshiva Chavetz Chaim, used to say that they're 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 out there and they're looking for you. And he'd say under underneath his breath, whether whether they know it or not. Uh-huh. Oh, very good, very very good. And so, and as we're talking about the gamut, we're talking about people that don't even know they're Jewish, people that know they're Jewish, people that don't care they're Jewish, Reform, conservative, not affiliated, all of the above. Jewish outreach happens to apply to anyone. It could be that they don't know they're Jewish, that they think they're Jewish, not sure if they're Jewish, 
um, reformed conservative, non-affiliated, that's definitely true. I happens to be that I also deal very much with people who know they're Jewish, that they might have been brought up with uh, Torah-observant homes, and are a little wishy-washy. They need chizuk, they, they need more inspiration. Um, I also deal with, I, I also learn with a lot of uh, gayrim converts. I, I, what I try to do really is more, I would say, harbats is the Torah, spreading Torah. Part of it is the Jewish outreach. There's a lot of reaching out to people who are not affi- are not affiliated. There are people that are also affiliated. There are people that are in there that, that are in the middle. Okay, very good. See now, now I'm getting a feeling. Now I understand who you are. So, you so you're in, in Milwaukee. So, besides your organization, are you involved in any of the schools in Milwaukee? I am involved with WITS, the Wisconsin Institute of Torah Study, the uh, high school and base parish. In Milwaukee. Right, which is connected to, to part, right, it's part of Chavitz Chaim, right? And so, okay, so you're involved with them, but uh, like many people, you need to do more. So you created SITE, which stands for yeah. Center for Interactive Torah Education, spelled C-I-T-E. What exactly is SITE? So SITE is a way to learn more Torah through technology. It also, it's also a means of bringing Jews all together to learn Torah on a much higher level than a lot of people don't have the ability to do where, where they are. So, so, how do you do, so how do you do that? So there's a... I have interactive classes, the Center for Interactive Torah Education, TorahInteractive.org. Right, so this is like on, on, we, on like a FaceTime yeah. or like a Facebook Live or just yeah, a webcast? We, so it's, it's something like that. It's, it's a webcam. We, we use something called WebEx. Okay. It's an excellent tool, which you're able to, to, to interact with each other. There's a whiteboard where, you're able, where I'm able to place, uh, place sheets so people can follow along with what, with what, what we're learning. Are you even able to take notes? And not not only can I take notes, but other other uh, students could take notes while they're uh, or chat if they don't speak. And they, they have choices to either speak up. They can they can they can use a phone. They can use the webcam. And there's an interaction in pretty much every single class that 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 that, that I give. So when you're giving a class. So what are you what are you looking to accomplish? Do you want to get a thought across? Do you want their brains working? What are you trying to accomplish? Or maybe you have all different kinds of classes. I want to get their brains working, but it, it's usually with a, a thought being 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 brought across. I take what what I learned in yeshiva. I I, I use that as my means of giving classes to everyone else. So that means that the, the in-depth, the, the Iyun, the in-depth class on, on Gemara, on Talmud, which I used to, which I used to uh, be in, in, in Yeshiva, I, I, give, I give that to them once a week. Now, you have to know how to do that, because people who are totally unaffiliated don't never, never learn Gemara in their life. So everything has to be translated into... English. 
Well, it's not just in English. There's, there's concepts that, are, that they're obviously unfamiliar with. Even lawyers aren't familiar with all the concepts. But if I'm not a lawyer, then I'm clueless. Exactly. You're correct. So not only are, is everything translated into English, but during the class, everything has to be broken down and simplified as, as simple as possible. And then after class, there's always review sheets to make sure that they, that, that they uh, understood what was going on in the, d- during the class. And they can always call me or, or, or email me with any questions. And I call them, I follow up with them, make sure that, that they understand. And it, it, makes, it makes an incredible impression. Besides all that, we, 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 have, we have rabbis that come onto the class also. There's a wide gamut from rabbis to people who are, who are uh, unaffiliated, people who were, just became Bali Tshuva, just became Torah observant or converts. All are, all are there at the same time. And all are, are asking questions together and putting in their input together. Very amazing. And- very amazing. This is all, if somebody wants to find this, is, this is on Torah Interactive. For my show, they need to know how to spell Torah, T-O-R-A-H, interactive.org. Um, just to, as we're getting close to, uh, to when I have to let you go, um, what would you consider a success? Now, as people want to come, they want to get involved, they want to join your classes, but what do you consider success? So I, I, I have a couple of different successes stories. I'll, I'll give you qu- quickly. One success would be there's guys that have gone to yeshiva or kind of married it and have gone to Kolo from being in college or from, uh, there's a guy from Finland who was not religious, who was starting to become religious and, and started coming to me. And now he's in a top-notch yeshiva in, in Israel. There's another success. There's a, there's, there's a guy who is retired and he has been coming to me for many, many years. He's not religious at all. And he started going to a rabbi near him, besides learning by me every week. And he even brings a totally unaffiliated friend of his who comes an hour and 15 minutes to learn with that rabbi, with him. That means that he went from being totally unaffiliated, starting learning with me, finding a rabbi to learn with, that, that he can speak to him face-to-face, and even bringing a friend with him. To, to, to that class. And he's gone from, I'm not sure if, if I want to take on anything, to one day I hope, I, I hope, to, I hope to improve and improve and, 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 and grow. That's uh, a success story right there. That is amazing. And we're hoping that many people listening, maybe they listen to me for an hour, whatever it is, but certainly if they want to get a deeper understanding, a real sink their teeth into what Torah is all about, a great place to go is the David Shmuel Milder, now I got the name right, at TorahInteractive.org. David Shmuel, I appreciate so much that you came on. I, I wish you lots of success and have a happy Hanukkah. Amen. L'chem Lamar. You're welcome. Okay, be Thank well. You. Okay, you too. Be well. Okay, that was David Shmuel Milder. Check out his uh, organization, TorahInteractive.org. We're going to be back. More to talk about this week's Torah portion. Hold through the break. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Uh, Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. Sukkot? 
I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? I'm I know, Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. on NewRadioMedia.com. That's pretty good. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Do you want to see things like this? Did you just say you died? <laughs> well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out PodQuesters. The show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Oh. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. I closed my eyes, drew back the curtain to see... And we're back! And now I know why Ilana was laughing on the other side of the... Uh, window or glass, I guess we say, after I told her Rabbi Milder's wrong pronunciation and she got it right. And of course, I forgot to find out what it was. That I do apologize. But in any case, very interesting, worthwhile checking out. I get his newsletters weekly, has nice stuff to say, always good to, to learn, to listen from other people. Really fantastic. But let's get back. We got some time. Let's get back into our story with Joseph. We got almost cut off there. And uh, the brothers really wanted to kill Joseph. I didn't say murder. They wanted to kill him. They actually convened their own court. And they felt that since he, Joseph, was trying to get the brothers out of the Jewish people, um, they had a right to execute him. Um, They didn't execute him. They threw him in the pit. And Ruvain's plan was to come and save Joseph. Bring him home to his father and say, Dad. Bad idea. Don't send Joseph to the brothers. They could kill him. But Ruvain doesn't get his chance because that's not God's plan. God's plan is to get Joseph down to Egypt. So the brothers see a caravan coming by, a caravan actually with uh, an unusual caravan. It was a, an Arab caravan, and in those days the caravans uh, would transport kerosene, fuel. If you've ever been around kerosene, you know the kerosene has a a terrible smell. But strangely enough, this caravan was filled with beautiful smelling spices. So the commentaries explain, even though Joseph is being sold into slavery, leaving his father's house for who knows how long, um, but at least the caravan will be pleasant in the smell. That's like saying you're bringing a guy... uh, uh, to some uh, high-security prison with all kinds of low-light prisoners, 
But the the van has a nice air freshener. Like, hello, like, who cares? Like, what's the benefit? So the answer is I'm not sure if there's really a benefit per se that Joseph's a little more comfortable. What it is is a message from God to Joseph. Joseph, you need to be sold. You need to be a slave. You're going to be in jail. You're going to have a terrible life for the next 10, 12 years. But don't think that I forgot about you. That's God's message. Don't think, Joseph, that just because you're being sold and just because everything looks so bleak, and it will be bleak, it will not be pleasant, but don't think God is saying to Joseph that I forgot about you. I remember you. I know exactly what I'm doing. I have a plan, and you will suffer, but here's just a message. I'm still here. I'm still taking care of you. Here are some nice spices. So therefore, it is not like the guy going in the van with the, with the air freshener. So Joseph is on his way down to Egypt. Reuven will come back. He will see, he'll see Joseph's not there. Uh, the brothers will go back to Jacob with Joseph's coat. We didn't talk about the coat too much today. But they'll come back with a coat. They'll dip it in goat's blood. And they'll say to Joseph, look, I mean, I'm sorry, to Jacob, look what we found. Uh, you recognize this? And, of course, Jacob recognizes it, and Jacob will now cry for the next 22 years. He cannot get over this loss, and there's different questions why he can't get over it. Um, Some say that uh, when a person dies, so the family is sad. Look, I lost my father a little over a year ago. You cry. There's reason to cry. There's good reason to cry. But if our brains held that memory of that moment when, you, when, when the person is sad, you, you can't go on with life. I mean, you're forever stuck with that memory. So God put into the creation, it's in our DNA, we forget. Sometimes we're not so happy we forget things. I forget things all the time. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. All the time I forget. I have my reminders and my watch and my, and my phone and notes and who knows what. We forget. That's how our brain works. So God set it up that when a person dies... Um, over time, it's not, supposed to be, it's not supposed to be immediate, but over time, a person has the wherewithal and the ability to forget his loss. Um, we had a guest um, many, many months ago. I think it was in the summer, maybe June. Um, his name was Baruch Cohen. He had uh, unfortunately lost a daughter to cancer. And I was reading a Facebook um, comment of his that a person whose child has the same... Cancers. His daughter sent him a message and said, um, you know, can you tell me what you went through? And very interesting answer. This Baruch Cohen sends him back. I guess he made it a public uh, answer. He says, no, I cannot. It was very painful. It was very hard for me to get over the situation. I was able to move on. I, of course, he remembers his daughter and he keeps the good memories and he, and he perpetuates her memory. But to go through the nitty-gritty of that intense emotional pain, he said, I can't open myself up again. But again, the point is we have the ability to get past um, situations, pain, suffering. We have the ability to get past it. Our brains don't completely forget it. They just tuck it away. It's there, but it's not in front of us where we, can't, we just can't move on with life. So if that is true, that a person's memories or a person's forgetfulness allows him to move on with life, so how come Jacob is crying for 22 years? 
So some answer that um, that Joseph's not dead, and if Joseph is not dead, so that rule that you that that it's in the in the DNA, it's in the creation that you forget a person, or at least that intense emotion, that pain, you forget that, that only applies to someone who's no longer alive. But Joseph is alive and well, and therefore Jacob cannot forget him. He doesn't know why he can't forget him. That's one answer. Um, once we're giving answers, I'll give you another answer. Um, and that is that, um, that it's not just Joseph dying. As Jacob was given a message by God. He had, I guess, in a conversation with God, he says, God, how do I know I'm going to get the world to come? How do I know? You know, it's funny. The most righteous people, the greatest people, always have the most concerns. How do I know that I'm good? Us regular people, we always think we're great. We think anything we do is fantastic and extra credit, and God must love us so much that we can't possibly deserve any punishments. But great people, like Jacob, he's not so sure. So he says to God, he says, how do I know I'm getting the world to come? So God says, there's no guarantees in this world. When a person dies, now it can be guaranteed. But here's the deal. If all your children are alive when you die, you know you're going straight to the world to come. So now Jacob has what to worry about. He's not just crying he lost his son. But now he thinks, must be something wrong with me. Because the promise was, I have all my kids. I don't have all my kids anymore. So now he has what to cry over. So fine. So Joseph now will make his way down to Egypt. He sold numerous times along the way. And he ends up uh, being bought by Potiphar, the butcher of Pharaoh. Now the question is, what kind of butcher this is? Uh, some say butcher means executioner. Others say it means he butchered, he cut up the meat. Um, I always had a difficulty with that explanation because Egyptians, they served the sheep. They served sheep and cows. If the sheep is your idol and the cow is your idol, like in India, you're not worshiping sheep. You're not, I'm sorry, you're not eating your God. You're not going to barbecue your God. I mean, I hope. So it almost seems to make more sense that um, that this Potiphar was the executioner. And again, for those who look through the Torah portion, you see that there's a jail. There's one of the jails for Pharaoh where his officers go to if they're going to be executed. So it was on this Potiphar's property. So Potiphar buys Joseph, and Joseph not only can do no wrong, but he's like Midas. Everything he touches turns to gold. Everything is fantastic. And... When every time Potiphar says, hey, Joseph, good job. And Joseph says, not me, it's God. And anything Potiphar needed, he took care of all of a sudden. The, his fields are producing fantastic and the house is running fantastic. And, and just everything is amazing. And Joseph himself, things, you know, are looking up. He's still a slave, but at least he's the head slave and he's running everything. And he starts to feel good about himself, and he starts to make himself look pretty. Joseph's a very, very handsome man. That, the Torah says, very handsome, beautiful. Sounds like a funny word to use on a man, but a very handsome, beautiful person. He's combing his hair, making himself look pretty in the mirror in the morning. So God says, you know, Joseph, you seem to be forgetting uh, that your father is crying over you. It's like you forgot about it. So uh, we're going to have to change the situation a little bit. And now Potiphar's wife 
will basically throw herself over Joseph and try to get Joseph to sleep with her. She says she saw in the stars that they're going to have children. Um, interesting enough, Joseph in the end will marry her daughter. Her name is Osnas. Osnas, the daughter by Tifera. Some say it's her daughter. Some say adopted daughter. In any case, this wife of Potiphar is trying with every which way to get Joseph to sleep with her, and Joseph's not giving in. Finally, Joseph is ready to give in. He, he's done. He's ready to give in. And the house says it's empty, some uh, idle holiday that day, and he's alone in the house with her. And the, the, the medrash says that Joseph sees a picture of his father, whether he saw a real picture, God put an image in his mind, whatever it was, and uh, as a boy in my class reminded me today that, uh, that Jacob is giving a message to Joseph. You know, when the Jewish people are going to be serving God in the temple, so the high priest will have a, a breastplate with 12 stones. And each tribe has their stone, and those stones, some were precious, some were semi-precious. They're going to all have a shine. But if you don't pass this test, Joseph, of not sleeping with his lady, your stone will be dull. So Joseph gets up and runs for his life, and uh, he leaves his coat, again, a story with a coat, right? We got one shirt that we already have full of blood that the brothers brought to Jacob. Now he's got another coat or shirt that he leaves behind. And this Paitiva's wife is not, as I teach my boys, a not nice lady, nasty lady. She's been, she's the one instigating, trying to get Joseph to sleep with her, and she is the scorned woman. Once Joseph, she sees that it's all over, Joseph is not going to sleep with her. So she now does a 180. She tells her husband, look, you're a slave. He attacked me, tried to rape me. I screamed and he ran. And look, I still have his coat. Now, you got to know, anybody knows any part of history, slaves aren't believed for anything. If a regular person, this even in the early 1900s, um, you know, certainly not slaves, but even um, for black people, it was also an issue. They would not be believed in court. It was a, it was a, it was really a, a sad time in the country, where 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 a black person was not believed in court against a white person it was terrible. So Joseph's not going to be believed. So, but and really, he should be executed on the spot. You attack the master's wife. Who cares what you say? But interesting enough. This Potiphar, probably because he liked Joseph as a good working slave, he did not completely believe his wife. So he, wa- he went to the, the priests of, of Egypt and said, is there a way for me to tell if my slave is telling the truth or if my wife is telling the truth? So I guess the original detective stories. So the priest said to him, look, if he attacked her and she has his shirt, there's going to be rips on the front of the shirt. If Joseph was running away and she grabbed his shirt, well, then the rips will be in the back of the shirt. Sure enough, um, they look at the shirt, and the shirt has a rip in the back. Now, you're not going to let Joseph go free because your wife said that he attacked her. So he's going to jail. But the fact that the priests were able to prove that Joseph is really innocent, so that's going to be good enough that Joseph doesn't have to be executed. And here comes my music. And as we're getting closer to Hanukkah, some Hanukkah music, I hope you enjoy it. Hold through the break. We'll be joined by Rabbi Jonas and Goldson from Ethical Imperatives when we come back. So hold on. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Pop That Culture. Bury the phone in the fat cemetery. It's got a cord. Welcome back to the Craig Folly Show. Our votes don't matter. I, and I always disagree. Doing this show, I feel like I get like a little bit of time to chit-chat with the man. Yeah. I fell in love with. Oh. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. Writer, producer, director. How did this whole thing come about for you? I'll tell you what happened. G'day, Morty. I got the Central Sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. But your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. I'm Jackie Callan, Dr. Mark Berkowitz. We all accumulate so many products. They'd probably dry it yeah. out if I opened the jar. You can't miss the team member with Medicare. You're a critical part of the team. Yeah. But I don't eat the yolks. That's yeah. not really helping them diet, is it? They're, they're not getting anything out of it. It goes right through. With these relatively small steps, it becomes a lot easier over time to make major lifestyle changes. Put your arms out if you want to. Whoa! Nice! <laughs> At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Wald Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. And we're back, and we're joined as always, almost always, we were off last week, uh, we're joined by Jonasen Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. Jonasen, how are you today? Oh, Ruch Hashem, very good, Ritzy. Great, how's the snow? <laughs> well, the snow has passed, it's in the 50s today. Oh, it is not in the 50s here in Detroit, that I can assure you. Well, anyways, as always, the clock is ticking, go for it. All right. Well, Airbnb has been making headlines, and not the good kind. Last week, the online rental brokerage waded into politics when it removed listings in Judah and Samaria, you know, what the media call the West Bank. Airbnb explained that settlements there, quote, are at the core of the dispute between Israelis and Palestinians, unquote. Of course, if they were really sincere about their commitment to justice, they would have delisted Arab properties as well, not just Israeli properties, but that kind of hypocrisy is nothing new. And it comes as no surprise. What is surprising is the backlash. In Beverly Hills, California, of all places, one of the most liberal enclaves in the country, the city council not only condemned Airbnb, but is encouraging a boycott of the service. That is nothing less than a Hanukkah miracle. And I'll explain why. The story of Hanukkah is unique in Jewish history because the threat facing the Jews came not from the might of the Syrian army, but from the influence of Greek cultural values. The Greeks had elevated art and architecture and philosophy to levels never before known throughout the secular world in a way that dazzled the eyes and excited the mind. Many Jews bought into those values, not recognizing that for all their appearance of sophistication, they contained very little substance. Without realizing it, by embracing the superficiality of Greece, Hellenistic Jews were undermining the integrity of their own Judaism. 
It's easier and simpler to look at only one side of any issue, like the directors of Airbnb did. But if we want to be genuine and sincere, if we want to seek real solutions to the world's problems, we have to look for the pinpoints of wisdom shining out of the darkness of willful ignorance. And with that, I wish you a delightful Shabbos and a joyful Hanukkah. Thank you, Yainison. Amazing as always. Great lesson. Thank you so much. And we'll be in touch. We're going to be off next week. We'll be in touch in a couple weeks. Very good. See you then. Thank you. Chavez. Okay. Excellent. See, he gets in all my, my trending news and what's happening and what a short and sweet and simple. I love it. Okay, great. As we said earlier, we are ready, Kelsey, with our poster number one. Thank you very much. We are back at the beginning of the alphabet. Our Aleph that um, it's made of actually of a, of, a, of a diagonal line, maybe like a Vav, and there's that upside-down Yod and inverted Yod, and we create that Aleph. Now, an Aleph, interesting enough, has no sound on its own. It only has a sound when you put the dots and dashes, or what we call in the kudos, or in the kudot, underneath it, and that gives it a sound. But the aleph letter, which is interesting, the first letter of the alphabet, you know, it, it's like it acts like a vowel sometimes because it's 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 a pronunciation, it's a sound, it makes sounds, but not on its own. There is no actual sound of the aleph. Its numerical value is one. And I thought this week a good, a good word is Adam. Adam, or you might know Adam. Adam means man. And the word Adam really comes from a bigger word, which is Adama. Adama is ground or dirt. And that's where the first man was created from. Those who studied or at least read uh, the beginning of the Torah portion of Bereshit, you'll know the beginning of Genesis that God takes the, the amount of earth and he forms it like clay into a man. He blows into his nostrils a spirit and voila, we have man. But part of the idea of calling man, the Hebrew word Adam, which comes from Adama, is to teach the person to remember where you're coming from. You're coming from dirt. You're coming from, from pretty much nothing. And be humble because remember where you're coming from. And once we're talking about, about sand... I have a good story for the golfers out there. You will appreciate this story. So here we go. There was a senior citizen who wanted to join a golf club. He was very excited. He, jo- he joins, the, he joins the, the club. And uh, he shows up and, and all the groups are already out on, on, the, uh, on the greens. And the only one left is the semi-pro. So the semi-pro sees this 72-year-old man. And the semi-pro says to the senior citizen, you know, everyone's out already. You'll, you'll go with me. But before we go out, like, is there any handicaps, anything you need? Because, you know, I'm the semi-pro. So the older gentleman said to him, yes, I have trouble getting out of sand traps. Okay, so I have trouble getting out of sand traps. Semi-pro said, no problem, I'll help you out. Anyways, they start playing, and this senior citizen is tied with the semi-pro going into the 18th hole. The semi-pro launches a shot, lands on the green, misses a long putt, and sinks in the third shot for a birdie. The senior citizen goes up, long swing, and the ball goes right into the sand trap. So, okay, the semi-pro figures, okay, here we go, I win. The, the gentleman goes to the sand trap, hits it out, onto the green, rolls into the cup, and the senior citizen beats the semi-pro. 
So the semi-pro walks over to him and he says, you are amazing. I thought you told me you have trouble getting out of sand traps. He says, I do have trouble getting out of sand traps. Could you please help me get out? Ta-da! Right, okay, we got smiles. Very good. So, um, so, but the point I wanted in the story, besides it's sand and dirt and, uh, and connects to Adam and Adam, which means ground, you know, we're very good at listening. And we hear exactly what we want to hear. And we imagine when we hear something that we know what you want. And sometimes we don't pay attention. So is that just good enough to hear what you say? Sometimes they have to listen and clearly understand what a person is trying to say, what you're trying to tell me when you talk to me. And uh, that was the lesson I wanted. And there goes my music. And as always, I have to thank everyone, our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team today, Tony, Kelsey, Angel, Alana on the phone. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah, New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.